0: You are listening to The Boss Business of Surgery series podcast, episode nine. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. Today, I brought a fellow coach, Dr. Victoria Silas. She is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon and a longtime coach. She will share her tips on transitioning out of surgery. On with the show. Welcome surgeons. Residency didn't teach us everything we need to learn to be a successful surgeon. While we spent our time caring for patients and learning how to operate, we didn't learn how to advocate for ourselves or navigate our career. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Vertries. I'm a general surgeon, certified coach, and founder of the Boss Business of Surgery series. This is where you'll learn those lessons not taught in residency. Welcome back. It's Amy Vertries again. And here I'm speaking to Dr. Victoria Silas. She is a pediatric orthopedic surgeon. She is retired and she is going to start talking to us about how she discovered coaching early on, and also how to navigate the ups and downs of your career. Um, So Dr. Silas, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, How would you introduce yourself?
1: Well, I'm a retired pediatric orthopedic surgeon and current coach at my own um, coaching site. I uh, was in practice for 21 years and I've been a coach for about 10 years. Although most of that coaching was kind of a, a side gig and something I did on occasion, not my uh, full focus.
0: Yeah. And I think that's really fantastic uh, that you discovered coaching before, like most people even knew it's a thing. And I know now it's certainly a lot more prevalent. Um, and, you know, probably because the, the medical practice these days kind of requires some sort of mind work, but you discovered this early on. So tell us a little bit about how you first discovered it and what you did with that, um, that practice.
1: So I think I originally discovered coaching by discovering Martha Beck. Um, I read her column in O Magazine on occasion, and I read some of her books, and um, particularly um, Finding Your Own North Star, where she talks about what she does as a coach. uh, And that sounded really good to me. And I was experiencing a lot of stress and suboptimal coping skills with my medical practice. And I thought, well, hey, I could just, you know, retrain as a coach because I knew she had a a coaching school and um, quit this job and have a completely different path in life. So I signed up for her coaching class and as a side effect of coach training, I learn to not hate my job anymore. And I learned how to not struggle every day with it. Uh, By doing using the coaching methods that I learned in training on myself, and by having a coach myself, I was able to recommit fully to the practice of orthopedics.
0: That's fantastic. And, you know, and I feel the same way, you know, I'm still a full-time general surgeon and do coaching, you know, of course on the side. And it, it really does allow you to give exactly what you said, the, the skills to navigate these, uh, our career itself. So give us an example of a time where the coaching principles helped you. Um, and because why, why would you stay in medicine um, when you would have left before? Give us an example of how you were able to use your coaching to stay in medicine.
1: Well, a large part of the coaching I've experienced has been what we call thought work, uh, which is doing inquiry to see if your thoughts are true, uh, which sounds a little ridiculous. But most people go through life believing that everything they think is true because they're thinking it. Um, And it turns out that a lot of the things that we think on a regular basis may not be true. And the only way to find that out is to examine them. Now, when I say they might not be true, I'm not talking about things like the sky is blue, something that everyone would agree on. I'm talking about The beliefs and opinions we have about how life is working out for us and for other people. So, my favorite example with doctors, or one that I experienced quite a bit of, was good surgeons don't have complications. And that thought was something I had a lot. I mean, not all the time, because complications all the time, but I had it enough and it would make me unhappy. Because, of course, I want to be a good surgeon. I don't want to be a bad surgeon. And I didn't have the skill to go, wait a minute, is that even true? And so when I did coach training and learned that questioning my thoughts was a possibility, one day I realized, well, you know, my partner had a complication and he's a great surgeon. I've been in the operating room with him. I've seen his results. you know, he's a wonderful doctor, everybody loves him. And so it, the thought work helped me realize that that thought that I believed was actually not true and was causing me a lot of pain. And it's, it's kind of hard to explain, but I learned not to think it, or if that thought would come up, I would go, oh, well, that's not true. We know that now.
0: That was just something
1: I was thinking for a really long time, but it turns out completely wrong.
0: And certainly, you know, we, we've all seen like the resistance to complications, which we all know are going to happen. And like on some level, we all know what's going to happen, but for some reason, we just don't think it's going to happen to us. You know, I wrote a whole article about that, you know, like Mm -hmm. that was that first thought that came to mind. Well, yeah, complications happen, but they don't happen
1: to me. Right. (laughs) Right. Or they shouldn't, or if they do something's wrong, but you know, a lot of that I think relates to our medical training. Because one of the things that happens in medical training is if you do do something wrong, there are like 50 people ready to tell you about how wrong you were. But if you do something right, no one says anything. That's expected. Yeah. That's the normal
0: Right. And of course, you know, when it comes to complications, we assume that everyone is going to say, oh, look at you, you know, it's look at what you've done. Um, and really, like the reality is, is exactly what you experience looking at your partner. Like someone else will look at us with a complication and say, of course, things happen. But, you know, what we're telling ourselves is that this couldn't possibly happen. And this is why I'm a terrible surgeon and everyone's going to know. And that's where that you know, the guilt of a complication goes into the shame of that. Yes. Uh, Absolutely true. Now, so with this coaching, um, you were able to then stay into um, your practice of of orthopedic surgery. But when did you really decide that, okay, well, now I think I'm going to start transitioning to doing less um, surgery? And and how, how did that work for you? What were your struggles?
1: Well, so my transition was a little bit different than a lot of people's because it actually started with physical ailment. Um, it started with some arthritis in one of my thumbs and I got surgery to fuse that joint, but then other joints started bothering me. And so my transition was kind of decided upon by my body, if you will. Um, but I still experienced a lot of thoughts that other physicians experienced during that time, which is, um, you know, guilt that I'm leaving my partner's. And how are they going to get on without me guilt that I'm leaving my patients, you know, especially in pediatrics, you feel like there's this commitment to small children and their families that you're going to be around and help them through this and then help them through the next thing, you know, with the long-term patients who have, um, congenital or neurologic conditions primarily. And, um, Sometimes there can be pushback from outside, you know, other people saying, Well, you spent so much time training and you took a place that someone else could have had. And so guilt comes up around that. And, you know, we're just really used to working very hard all the time. And so the idea that, you know, I actually can give myself permission to make a different choice now. I made that choice. I was. A young adult in my twenties, and now I'm going to make a different choice because the lifestyle I want is a different one.
0: What advice would you give the yourself, which would essentially be anyone who's listening now, who's contemplating, um, you know, a transition in their career? What would you tell her that would help her get by?
1: Um, I would tell them kind of what I just said, which is, it's okay to make a different choice now. You made a commitment. You stuck by that commitment. That commitment has run its course. You know, kind of like buying a house, and you know, now we either have kids and we've outgrown it, or the kids are off in college and we don't need something so big anymore. That's the same kind of commitment to me,
0: right? And you know, I think it's very interesting too. That um,
1: do you think that discovering
0: coaching early in your career also helped
1: this? Yes, for sure. I think if I hadn't discovered coaching, i I might not have left the career for coaching, but I would have left it much sooner because, um, I wasn't happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And why do you feel like you weren't happy? Uh, as I mentioned before, I think mostly the things I was telling myself about what mm-hmm. I was doing, um, I also know that at the time, it was really easy for me to slip into what I call survival mode. I'm mm-hmm. sure you're familiar with it. Yours mm-hmm. might look differently, but you know mine looks like you get up in the morning, you go to work, you come home, you eat, you go to sleep. Um, and you're not really doing anything else. You're not necessarily looking forward to anything else. I mean, I always look forward to my vacations um, but you're not you're not living each day, you're just trying to get it over with. So then you can make the next day over with and the next day over with. Um, and that's the other thing I would tell my younger self is you know, find some way to do something every day that's just for you, mm-hmm. even if it's small, just something that makes you feel good about the life you're living and the life you're creating and the work that you're doing in the world and the relationships. I mean, every day, I think you need to focus some part of your attention on that to experience life in a richer way. And I think that'll help with things like burnout.
0: And I think that's a critical um, topic that you just talked about, which was you know doing something for yourself every day, not being in survival mode, uh, because the, the two things that I know that you mentioned already, which is, um, you know, physically doing something for ourselves because of the wear and tear of all this, you know, being sure to protect our you know physical bodies but also just the mental aspect of it too. If you're only like living to get by to the next day, you're not looking ahead.
1: One of the things I noticed in medical school, so medical school is stressful for everyone. It's hard. Um, But one of the things I noticed is the older students who had already had a career, who already had families and kids they seemed to handle the stress a lot better than the rest of us who were just starting our lives out. Um, We didn't really have anything else in our life besides school, Um, whereas they had this whole other persona, this whole other identity as a wife, a a husband, um, father, mother. And that really seemed to anchor them to what's ultimately important in life and not, you know, are you going to get honors in this class, which seems like the end of the world in medical school, but you know, it's really not.
0: Yeah. And so it seems like starting early on of developing your identity outside of medicine will help you build a resilience towards continuing medicine and also exiting medicine too. Mm-hmm. Um, and Absolutely. So yeah, starting early on, both with the physical aspect and also the mind work that you mentioned, too, because it's not just, you know, paying attention to your identity. It's also, you know, recognizing that a lot of these thoughts that we tell ourselves are, you know, kind of
1: lies, mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> at, least, at least not true.
1: <laughs> <laughs> not malicious. We're not doing it on purpose. It just happens. Yes. Yeah, I think I mean, that it does bring up another thing that people really have to deal with as they start thinking about transitioning is if I'm not a doctor, who am I? And for some people, that's a huge question to which they don't really have an answer. Um, And I did always have a clear sense of who I was if I'm not a doctor. Yes. Um, So So who are you now? Um, I'm a pretty happy person. I'm much more focused on my health and my physical well-being, you know, most of my life, it was kind of like, okay, body, come along, we're doing this. And now it's much more, okay, we're going to do this for you. And then we're going to do this for me and much more of a cooperative endeavor. I'm also focused on learning. Like most physicians, I'm a lifelong learner. So I'm always learning something on a podcast, on an audio book, reading a book, taking a class online. And then I'm doing this coaching practice because being of service is still one of my core values. Um, You know, I feel like I'm here on this earth to ease suffering in whatever form I can. And that's been a mission of mine since I was a little kid, actually.
0: Yeah. so it sounds like you you know your core being is is helping other people and for a long time this was you know the pediatric orthopedic patients and now you know then you along the way you discovered you probably need to heal yourself a little bit yeah, yeah. and now you know passing it on to you know the the next generation of of doctors um and so everyone's looking for a coach now of course um, now that they mm-hmm. recognize it so who are you ideally suited to help
1: well, my ideal client is, is, well, not as is common, is kind of like who I used to be, right? Someone who was, felt like they were struggling in their career, not happy with their career, thinking they need to make some kind of change, whether that's just a job change or a career change. Um, I also really love working with maintaining personal boundaries, Uh, That's very important to me because I think we are taught in training to violate all our boundaries, and we don't know how to put healthy ones in place when we're done, and also dealing with problems of perfectionism. I never thought I was a perfectionist because I wasn't perfect enough, (laughs) (laughs) So I was this like, no, I'm great. Not, not perfect enough to be a perfectionist. Right. I'm not, you know, like my house is a mess and I don't do this. And I, so I'm clearly, I'm not OCD. I'm not a perfectionist, but it turns out that, yes, I really am a perfectionist. So um, it's really enjoyable to work with challenging perfectionism as an ideal.
0: When it comes to boundaries, like what would you give someone a suggestion, like a quick tip? Someone is, you run into someone in the hallway and you can clearly tell that they have some sort of boundary issue. What is an easy thing that
1: you could tell them? Well, the easiest thing to tell them is that no is a complete sentence and that they need to give themselves permission to... uh, put those boundaries in place for them. For example, this is super easy. So I had this one younger partner who didn't love doing the ped side of ortho back when we did adult call. And um, he had a way of calling me and only me when he was on call to assist him with a pediatric problem. And sometimes it was, you know, really required a pediatric orthopedist but a lot of times it was that he didn't kind of want to do it. And so what I did was in my phone, instead of his first name, I put the word don't. <laughs> and that way, when I wasn't on call, I mean, obviously, when only when I wasn't on call and he called me and let's say I'm out to dinner with some friends, I have that pause between answering my phone or not. Where I can decide, am I available to help him out with this, or do I really need to be not available for him because I need to be available for me? Yeah,
0: I think that's genius too. And you know, there's definitely some components of boundaries that are so helpful. Which is one is you know identifying what a boundary violation is. Um, giving yourself the pause that you have. And I think like changing someone's name to don't is like the best thing I've ever heard. And then (laughs) (laughs) the, the third part is, is what are you going to do? And I think like a a boundary is like defining something, but you also say like, if you call me, then I, and in your case, like, if you call me, I'm going to pause and then I'm going to either not answer because I'm not on call and there's your boundary. Um, mm-hmm. but it always includes like something that we're going to do as a result of that too. And I think making sure that that's ideally communicating someone else to say, if you do this, then I'm going to do this.
1: Yeah. Well, I think what a lot of people don't understand about boundaries is they, they produce clarity, not just for you, but for the other person. Mm-hmm. For example, setting out of office replies when I'm out of the country for a week on both my email and my EMR, so that people know I'm not available and this person is on, you know, will be covering for me. And if it's something about one of my patients, you can contact them. Now, the people who are on call always had a way of getting in touch with me. So if they really needed my help, it was available. But, you know, it's just setting that little boundary of like, I'm not available. If it's an emergency, these people are. And, the, you know, that way the patients still get taken care of, the consultants still get taken care of, and I still get taken care of.
0: So helpful, because I think that's been, you know, throughout this is talk that we've had is really just putting yourself... In there somewhere Um, and it seemed like at the time in your life that you suffered was when you were in survival mode and you weren't a part of that um, equation and so I think that that's absolutely critical of putting yourself in that equation and it makes perfect sense how you were able to sort of effortlessly transition um, from one career to the next um, on your terms and I think recognizing the permission that you gave yourself to listen to what people saying about like, well, you're taking a position and you're going to let people down and and realize is that, you know, you can give your permission, yourself permission to change um, directions and that everyone's going to be okay. Because in the end, wasn't everybody okay?
1: Yeah, everybody was okay. Actually, they were, they were totally okay. They had a locums person for a while and now they have a new partner and yeah, they're, they're fine.
0: (laughs) Yes. And I think that it's a great lesson as we kind of close is being, um, you know, protective of yourself, putting yourself in the equation, you know, providing clarity and, you know, establishing your boundaries. I think there's a really fantastic way to both navigate your career and also to transition out. So now I know that if someone wanted to talk medical and they can figure out how to work with you, is that correct? Yes. All right. Well, Dr. Stiles, it's so great talking to you today. I've really
1: enjoyed our companionship so far. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review the show and share it with fellow surgeons. Let's show each other what is possible. You can find more information at bosssurgery.com and the Boss Business of Surgery Series Facebook group. Until next time.